The last few days as I've been looking at this passage, which is our gospel reading, I've been trying to do something very dangerous, and that is to find my way into the mind of Jesus. What was it that Jesus was thinking as he set out to see John the Baptist at the River Jordan? What was it was going on? What was it that took him there? And uh, I didn't spend too long with that particular exercise because I came up with more questions than I did answers. And uh, that's why it was probably a dangerous exercise. You can't think your way into the brain of the Son of God. But clearly, this was a major turning point. Perhaps the first significant major turning point in the life of Jesus our Lord. He'd lived the previous 30 years or so in the obscurity of Nazareth, which was not a particularly important small town uh, at that particular time. He had involved himself in the family business, which was uh, construction and carpentry. And he had probably become a significant figure in the little synagogue, which was there. And was known as a faithful and godly man. But then he heard that his cousin John, John the Baptist, was down by the River Jordan and baptizing people for the forgiveness of their sins. And that seemed to have tripped a switch somewhere in his mind. And it must have been an impulse from the Father driven by the Holy Spirit that led him to wrap up his own business to go with the crowds to the Jordan River and to present himself there to John the Baptist to be baptized. Now, as soon as Jesus appeared in front of him, John realized that there was something different about this man. He may not have even recognized him. They were cousins, but they lived 60 miles apart, which in those days could be 600 miles apart. But uh, he realized that the man standing in front of him didn't need a baptism for the forgiveness of sins. This man's life was on a wholly different level than that of uh, all the rest of us. In fact, this man was the one who is mightier than I that John was looking forward to uh, coming to present himself as the Messiah to the people of Israel. And if you look at the various uh, tellings of the story of the baptism, John tried to argue Jesus out of it. Well, you don't negotiate someone out of something like that, particularly the Son of God. Jesus insisted, so they went down into the water together. And as if from nowhere, a dove came and fluttered over uh, the pair of them as they stood there in the water and John baptized Jesus. And then, and the texts of the various tellings of the story aren't quite clear on this. Mark tells us that Jesus heard a voice. Uh, other gospels aren't quite so clear on that issue. So I think that at least two of them heard the voice 
And the voice said, you are my son, the beloved, and with you I am well pleased. Well, if you read that the first time, in fact, if you could read it several hundred times, it sounds very much like a father at his son's graduation telling him, I am proud of you, my son, now that you have graduated from college or whatever it might be. But there is a lot more going on in God's words to Jesus than him saying, I'm proud of you. I'm sure he was, but there is more to it than that. And this psalm had played an integral part in Jesus' life. Jesus, like all Jews of that period, grew up knowing and loving the Psalms, all 150 of them. He certainly would have known a majority of them by heart. He probably knew all of them by heart. And so they were part and parcel of who he was as a person and as a disciple of his father. And he probably knew Psalm 2 particularly well. And Psalm 2 is in many ways the template in the book of Psalms as to what the Messiah will be like. And as the psalm goes on, you find the words that uh, are there. Uh, if the Lord, the Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And if you see the words as they're used in the, in the Greek, and probably in the Aramaic as well, which would have been the language which would have been spoken in this setting, they echo, they reflect what was there in Psalm 2. Jesus had been studying Psalm 2. He saw this to be himself, and now he had been baptized. And the Father was affirming his perception of who he was and what his task was. The foundation was laid, and this was the major turning point in his journey, a journey which would go on for three more years and end at the cross and then his resurrection from the dead. But if you look carefully at Psalm 2, and don't take this passage just standing on its own, but put it within its context. You'll find that following God saying these words, the Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. The psalmist goes on and says, and these are God's words speaking through the psalmist, ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. There's the job description of the Messiah. You are my son, and here's the job description. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. There is the job which the father is giving the son after he had been baptized and after he had heard the words of affirmation from the father. 
Now, if you look on a little bit in Mark's Gospel to the next verse after the one which, uh, which ended our reading, which, uh, which, which uh, Martin read to us just now, you'll find there is a little sentence which says, and the Spirit immediately drove him, that drove Jesus, into the wilderness. Well, the word which is used for drove or drive was the one which you'd used to drive a herd of cattle or to drive uh, a, 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 a pig into a, uh, into a sty or into a, 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 a horse, into a stable or whatever it might be. And it was the Holy Spirit now driving Jesus out into the wilderness because his father had things to say to him. And so Jesus pulled back, as it were, from that moment of baptism and went off to be alone for uh, six weeks with the father there in the wilderness to, as it were, talk through how the job description of the Messiah worked itself out. And uh, what his baptism was about and what it meant to be the Messiah, to be the beloved son with whom God was well pleased. And there at that time were a a competing variety of perceptions as to who or what the Messiah would be like. So it was necessary for Jesus to pull back to be with his Father prayerfully in order to hear the Father's instructions as to how you fill out that job description. And... Uh, the father's description of the job was clearly very, very different than the one which was uh, there, which was probably the most common, which was uh, a sort of splashy approach to it. And that's when we hear of the devil tempting Jesus in the wilderness. It is, you be a splashy guy. No, no, no. I've got another task for you. And that task will end with the cross and then the resurrection. He was tempted to be something different, but he followed the Father's will. Each of us is baptized into Christ. And in a little while, we've got some little ones who are going to be baptized into Christ. For us, our baptism is for the remission of our sins. And it's there validly for the remission of our sins every day because uh, we don't get through a day very much without sinning. And our initial baptism is a turning point in our lives, just as Jesus' baptism was a turning point in his life. For us, it's the beginning of our journey of faith. For me, my baptism began, well, my baptism took place, the journey for me began in December 1945, a little while back. And I was baptized in a medieval font in a medieval church in the little town in which I grew up. I was baptized by an army chaplain who had been in North Africa with my father. 
And I was baptized because my parents were nice people and that was what people did. They had their children baptized. There wasn't a lot of substance to it, but I was baptized. Fourteen years later, in December 1959, after having come to know and follow Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior at a boys' camp, which was in a field way out on the western tip of Wales, I was confirmed in my school chapel by the Bishop of St. Albans. And I took the promises of my godparents upon myself. They became mine. I was baptized into Christ as Christ was baptized into the ministry to which God had called him. For my parents, they really didn't see much of importance in my baptism spiritually, but it came to mean an enormous amount to me when the Father brought those words of my baptismal vows, my baptismal covenant to life. I belong to God, and he meant me to play a part in the Messiah's job description in making the nations Christ's heritage, the ends of the earth his possession. I was in Christ, just as we are in Christ, and that job description is ours because we've been baptized, because we have made those words of affirmation of faith in Christ our own. Just in a moment or two, there are some little ones who are going to be baptized in our brand new font there at the back. Uh, very different from the medieval font in which I was baptized, but it's the same thing. And it will be a turning point in their lives. And it's not just nice to be done, baptized, sort of finishing off your birthing, as it were, but it's to set you on the journey towards God's purpose for who he wants you to be, to serve Christ, to serve God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And after they've been baptized, we receive them into the household of God, and we pray that they will grow up confessing the faith of Christ crucified and Christ risen, proclaiming his resurrection, and then sharing Christ wherever God takes them in this world. He has a task and a ministry for them. These last few days have been shattering days, I think, for all of us since Wednesday and may give us an idea of the sort of world which these children are going to be growing up in. I pray not, but that may be the case. So we baptize them that they will be Christ's faithful soldiers and servants to their lives' end in the world 
which will be there when many of us who are older have gone to our eternal reward. Their task is to make the nations Christ's heritage and the ends of the earth his possession. And we pray God's blessing upon them just as we pray for God's guidance and blessing upon ourselves and upon those who lead our country. Amen.